0: Apple presents events at the Apple Store. All right, let's give it up for our evening's guest moderator, Drew Taylor. My name is Drew Taylor. I'm a uh, contributing editor for Movie Phone, and uh, we're here to talk to Blake Lively about The Age of Adeline, and we're going to see the trailer for that movie right now. Ma'am, it says here you were born in 1908. That makes you 45 years old. That's right. Adeline Marie Bowman was born on January 1st, 1908. Many years later, she would begin a family of her own. On a cold winter night in 1935, Adeline's life... Would change forever. In that moment, something incredible happened. Its effect was almost magical. Adeline Bowman will henceforth be immune to the ravages of time. She will never age another day. I'd like to ask you a few questions, Miss Ballman.
1: The next time we see each other, I'll have a new identity. I'll always be your mother, and you'll always be my daughter. Happy birthday, Mama. You look
0: exactly like this old friend of mine. We were very close.
1: Don't you miss having someone to love? It's not the same when there's no growing old together. Without that, love is just heartbreak.
0: I'm Alice. Pleasure to meet you. I'll just wait with you.
1: Thank you. but I'll manage. Wait!
0: How do we get in touch? first time I saw you, I knew I had to meet you. I didn't know when or how, but I knew I would. How is this possible?
1: All these years, you've lived, but you've never had a life. I don't don't know how. Tell me something I can hold on to forever and never let go. I've been running for so long. Adeline, I don't know how to stop.
0: Let's give it up for Adeline herself, Miss Blake Lively. So this movie is sort of deals with like magical realism, and that's something that can go very wrong very quickly. Um, did you guys talk about how to sort of maneuver that sort of dangerous playing field?
1: Well, it's incredibly dangerous, but it's also. Um when it's done well, as an audience, you really love it and you really appreciate it. And I think because it's such a tricky territory to navigate, you don't see magic in films as much, unless it's a superhero film or, or you know, there's Diagon Alley, you know, <laughs> it's, it's it's wizards or capes. But to have magic in a very simple, quiet story is, is rare. And so... When people aren't expecting anything out of it, you get to pleasantly surprise people, or you get to make a crappy movie like everyone thought you might. <laughs> right. um, and I think I think we made a really special movie that I'm I'm really proud of, and and it's it's it has magic in, in a quiet film in a way that I haven't seen in a really long time.
0: Right. Uh, you see, you you see, we kind of see you when this sort of event happens, and then many years later. But did you and the director sort of fill in that? space? I mean, if I asked you where she was in 1976, could you tell me, or was that something that was just sort of not discussed?
1: I think we, we had our own ideas of what happened, and we, 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 we skimmed over the 70s, 80s, and 90s, because I think everyone wants to forget those. Um, <laughs> so we really focused on, on, uh, on the other time periods. No, but, um, you know, we, we, we looked at the time period when she came of age, when the most impactful things happened to her, um, when she got in her car accident, when she was married, um, when she had her great loves, um, when she had a child, when she had to leave her child, when the FBI was after her, um, you know, all of these big turning, most pivotal points in her life we discussed at, at nauseum. But then for a while, you know, she just tried to disappear and she just became very um, alone and quiet.
0: Well, one of the sort of clues to your amazing history is the wardrobe which is incredible and I imagine you had a lot of fun okay. with that uh, because they that did not
1: have duct tape strong enough <laughs> to keep me from having an influence on that wardrobe.
0: Um, I mean did you so you purposely sort of were putting things in from from the past in, into things can you talk about developing that look and sort of where where the thought process was?
1: Yeah well we were lucky to have um, the costume designer from Moulin Rouge be our costume designer on the film so I was just, like, so geeked out by that. Um, but I, was that a slow clap starting?
0: <laughs> Give it up for Moulin Rouge, right? yeah. Slow
1: clap. Um, anyway, um, but so, you know, there, there was a version of this film that we could have done, which if this was the Pat Fields version, you know, Sex in the City goes back to 1908, would have been amazing. Um, or Gossip Girl, for that matter. But, um, but this was about, yeah, there we go. That was a faster clap um but you know this this version of the film was about being as honest as possible and we we tried to not make her glamorous but women back then put so much more effort in 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 the way they presented themselves there's no such thing as sweatpants and uggs right you know so there was always uh, just naturally more of a formality to it but when i first read the script and a, a lot of the initial conversations in present time she looked like you know a girl walking down the streets in Manhattan, like a, trench coat and skinny jeans and tall boots and I was like this she looks like Serena Vanderwitz. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't do that. And they said, yeah, but she evolved with the times in every decade. So she would have evolved with this time. But she had to, something about her had to be different. Something about her had to stick out. So I really fought to have her um, be an amalgamation of all of the, the decades that she's lived in. Um, but in order to do that in each decade, like in the 60s, you'll see a little piece from the 20s. Because right. the idea is like, she wouldn't just all of a sudden start wearing vintage. So every right. decade, you see the, the decades before we've been
0: and one of your big sort of wardrobe outfits is the first New Year's Eve dress, which I think we have a clip of, so let's watch that now.
1: So, uh, where are you off to? Some place with better food, my apartment. Yourself? Back to the party. I just wanted to spend 27 floors with you. That was a risky move. What? Leaving your date upstairs? I, I hope it was worth it. What are you talking about? Oh, come on, the beautiful woman in blue. Does her name happen to end in Kova?
0: <laughs> no, her name is Agnes Boggs. Her uncle's the chef. I'll let him know you like this food. And she's not my date. Now, that's your very handsome co star, Mikhail, who, uh, for the son of Harrison Ford, has a weird. Norwegian accent <laughs> pop up every once in a while. Yeah,
1: you, you only hear it when he's talking about the utility line. <laughs> in the movie. But otherwise, it's really, right. it's for it's, solid.
0: <laughs> From Westeros. Um, and yeah, can you talk about working with him? Because he, he's sort of the breakout. Of this, this. Yeah, movie. we
1: were really excited to work with him because, um, you know, we looked for about six months for an Ellis because this woman hasn't been in a relationship since the 60s. So this guy has to be incredibly formidable for her to say, okay, now finally I'm going to break down and open myself up to love. And then and Ellis then says he's written too. He's handsome and he's charming and he's wealthy and he's philanthropic and like holy crap, show me where that guy is, you know? (laughs) And and, and she's just, like, not interested. Um, So we had to have somebody who could be self-deprecating and who could undercut that and be goofy but also have a gravity to him. And we just, we, it was really, it was really difficult to find that person. And then two weeks before we started shooting, Mikheel came in, and, and we were just so lucky to have him. Maybe not the first choice as Harrison Ford's son, right? <laughs> but he is so right for Ellis that we thought, yeah, he's his son. Maybe there was, but unfair that he spent a lot of time that, in Norway. Yeah, yeah. that <laughs> his character, his father's character had. Um, but but he's just such a joy to watch this movie, and it was also fun at the after party to see a lot of like ten-year-old girls be like, "Ellis, hi!" And like you know, they were they were having their crushes, right. and not just ten-year-old girls. I mean, girls in many different age groups. And
0: probably some men as well.
1: Yes. Okay. Uh, Those are the only ones he was responding to, oddly. <laughs> no, i He's got a lovely wife and a beautiful little baby girl. But we probably shouldn't talk about that, because well. we want people to only look at yeah, him for his s- sexy, sweaty, steamy body right. in the trailer. And yeah. uh, we want to get girls in the theater for that. It oh, was a very the, convenient thing to, in the trailer. To have him just... Yeah, yeah, actually, one, like, that's five seconds of the movie. Yeah, it's yeah. like this really like emotional scene, and then he comes out like... Slow motion, like covered in steam, steam and like yeah. nipple hair. <laughs> like, what is happening right now? Um, but, um, but you know, it's the trailer shot. Right. Well, That's speaking of nipple hair, you
0: worked with Harrison Ford as well, <laughs> and uh, he he has kind of a reputation for being a little bit of a grouch. Do you have any funny, grumpy, old man Ford stories you can share with us?
1: Well, you know, I was uh, I was just so desperate for his approval the whole time because he's he's very um, he's very stoic and he's very quiet he's not grumpy he's just he you gotta earn it right and yeah he Harrison Ford of course you have to earn it you know um, and then we our last scene together is this incredibly emotional scene in the movie it was so hard and um, I don't, was just like when I'm doing a scene like that where I have to put myself out there so much and I have to be so vulnerable I really need some sort of feedback from the other actor. It's my a total weakness of mine. But I either need them to say, hey, good job, or why don't we try it this way? Would that help you out? Or because it's not really working. Like, you suck right now, and this is what you can do better. <laughs> but I just need to hear something for them just to be quiet, and be like, do they hate it, do they hate it, do they love it? And so you know, we finish the scene, and he just finally Went like that. And I was like, can you give me some sort of feedback? Or we've been working together for a few weeks. Just give me something. And he's like, I'll give you something if you if you deserve it. Like, oh, great. So wow. So I don't know if he I'll said. I'll take that, I'll I don't take know if
0: that as a grumpy story.
1: No, I don't think it's grumpy. It okay. gets better, though. So uh, Sorry, I tell really long stories. Um, but I don't, he didn't say it in those words. But he's okay. sort of like, you know said as much. So then uh, at the end of the scene he just sort of smiled and winked and was like, That was it? That's all you have to say to me? Like can you just give me a compliment, please? And then so um he's like, you know, that you were actually really great in that scene. And I said, You know what? You were too. You're not nearly as bad as they say. <laughs> and like he laughed so hard and then like from then on was just like just you saw like the Pepe Le Pew eyes like, <laughs> like he like finally liked me and appreciated me and then we they, he was wrapped forever. <laughs> so that was short lived.
0: Uh, we have another clip. I want to talk about Ellen Burstyn, which is the third clip, but we have to get through this other clip, so let's show. Because I'm quit. talking
1: too much? No. I'll tell shorter stories. No, i got to tell great. shorter stories. No. You've got to edit this. This is,
0: a, this is a clip of you and, and edit Mikhail this in your mind. Uh, on a date, on your first date. Yes. So, cool. Yeah.
1: Would you like a drum roll?
0: <laughs> Voila! <laughs> it was between this and Stuffed Quail. Please don't tell me you're disappointed.
1: I, uh, I'm truly overjoyed. Yes.
0: <laughs> Dig in.
1: Okay. Well? Uh, it's perfect, as the music is painful. You don't like jazz? No, I love jazz, this is something else. Take that,
0: jazz. Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> And McKeel's actually an incredible uh, musician, right. and, and like New Orleans jazz is yeah. what he knows how to play. And so he was like, please don't make him play bad jazz. <laughs> it was like his whole big, you know, Cause He was on cleat. Treme, right? Yeah, he yeah. was on Treme, yeah. and he learned how to, how to play Do it. piano,
0: sharp. Uh, the movie is set in San Francisco, and coming out of the movie, I was like, this is a great San Francisco movie, but you guys shot it in Vancouver. How hard was that?
1: Yeah, and then I just saw Planet of the Apes, was was shot in Vancouver and something else. So I've now I've now coined it San Vancouver. Right. So yeah, we shot in San Vancouver, which was, um, was you it? know they add a trolley in, in San Francisco. Right. Like, that was it. Put a trolley in Dubai and you're in San Francisco. Right. If there's a tax break there, it will happen. Right. Movies will show up there. <laughs> um, but it was fun. I, I love being in Vancouver, and uh, you know it would have been nice to shoot in San Francisco. But right. It's expensive.
0: Yes. That's um, why no one does it. Do you have any favorite San Francisco movies?
1: I have favorite San Francisco ice cream places. <laughs> <laughs> I'm is? sure I can think of San Francisco movies, but Mrs. Doubtfire, that was a pretty right? good one. Right,
0: yeah, sure. A lot, of, a lot of Doubtfire fans yeah, in the right? audience. <laughs>
1: Some um, Doubtfire crowd here.
0: Uh, another amazing actor you get to work with is the great Ellen Burstyn. Um, you only have a few scenes with her, but I imagine you were like asking her a million questions and sort of getting her input on everything? Or, or were you just sort of no, enjoying No, it's terrifying.
1: You really? can't do that. You, you don't
0: want to mine her for sort of information?
1: I do. Of course you do. But but you also respect right. someone like her so much that you, you, if she wants to offer it, you allow her to offer it. But you can't just say like, oh, tell me about that one yeah. time, you know? Um, so... Uh, you know, it was it was neat because we actually became closer in the scenes together. Because she's someone who's incredibly regal, and when someone has um, earned that much respect, it's almost hard to um, to feel uh, secure enough to approach them and 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 ask them questions. And so, in the scenes together, she had to be so open and vulnerable and pure because she was playing my daughter, and I had to play you know the authority over her. So I had right. to be more guarded. And by her opening up in the scenes with me, it actually when the scenes would cut, we would, like, you know, be closer. And, you know, by the end of it, we actually became quite close, and, um, you know, we uh, had her over for Easter. So
0: now you, but now you can pepper her for questions. No, I can ask her questions, for sure. Okay, good, good, good. Um, Let's uh, run a clip.
1: Am I late? No more than usual. Happy birthday, Mama. Thank you, darling. (laughs) I'm so happy to see you. You know you don't have to still give me cards. I love you. I love you too. So when are you moving back up? Third week in February. Right on schedule. Of course. I see you already forgot our little talk about sodium.
0: No, I am simply choosing to ignore. And doesn't that look just like San Francisco? Um, there's a gentleman in the front row who is going to bombard you, I'm sure, at some point to sign uh, his copy of The Green Lantern, which I can't have You're here. You're the one who not, bought yeah, it. Yeah, he's, he's the one. <laughs> 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 Obviously, that uh, movie paid off hugely uh, per, uh, you know, personally for you, but uh, did not do what what anybody thought. I mean, did you guys have a feeling on set that things weren't? Going the way they should have been going. I mean, or... it's,
1: it's a little bit of a red flag when you don't have a script. But hey, <laughs> well, let's you don't do need it. A script. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where I think um, people get so caught up in what the, the trend is and, and what they think the audience wants that, that sometimes you forget to step back and I think respect your audience and say, right. like, if you animate a suit, people may not enjoy that. Right. <laughs> you know? Or, um, so I think that it was just um, sort of hoping people would be there no matter what. Right. And um, you always try to make the best movie possible, and I'm—I think everyone involved did try to make the best movie possible. But sometimes, it doesn't work out.
0: Yeah, I mean, Ryan's getting, getting back into the sort of superhero game. Would you uh, yeah. with Deadpool? Yeah,
1: Deadpool. Oh my uh, gosh. Would oh. you? Would
0: you? You know, do another character, or is that?
1: Yeah. You know, it's all about doing the right thing. I mean, Deadpool, what a character. I mean, going on that set and seeing the movie that they're making, it is such a special film. Take it out of the the superhero context, and it's just an awesome movie. It's one of the funniest things I've ever been on. I cannot believe some of the things they're saying. You're saying that in a movie? That's okay. Um, And, you know, he actually, we've, he was, we were both sort of allergic to social media, just because I think you're allergic to. It's easier to stand on your soapbox when you haven't done it. And you're right. like Well, actually, I don't partake in that. Um, but you know, he started Twitter since, and he sort yeah. of tweets almost as Wade Wilson, and and it's it's a little bit reflective of of what the uh, what the movie's like. Irreverent. It yeah. is. I
0: can't wait. Um, okay, well, I think now we are going to turn it over to uh, the audience.
1: Hi, Blake. Hello. Congratulations on your new bundle of joy. Thank you. Um, you talked about... Is that him? Is he my new bundle yes. of joy? So cute. Surprise. You can hold him in your arms. <laughs> um, you talked about how you included
0: fashion over time into your character. How did you take, like, mannerisms and
1: how women have aged over time and their rights and their freedoms into your character into the modern day? Well, that was a huge thing because, um, there's a, there's a formality to Adeline, even in present time... Uh, we explored different versions, like I even, I think Jane Fonda is so rad, so I was like, I want to talk like her, and want to look like her, but she came of age in a time where, you know, she was fighting for, you know, free love, and, 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 and she, she had a voice and she used it, but Adeline came of age in the Edwardian era, I mean, you know, she lived through the 20s, you know, (laughs) she was around when women didn't have rights and, um, and then was a part of that and then, and then figuring out how women fit into society and culture and what was really neat about the wardrobe is when you look at the history of fashion, there's a reason that the shift dresses in the and the drop waist were more loose than the more buttoned up things of the Edwardian era and then that happens again history repeats itself again a bit from the the 50s where it's very conservative and corseted and buttoned up and women's hair is very tight and proper to loose and flowing in the 60s and it's reflective of the free love and so where where women fit into society socially and politically um, was reflected in the fashion but it was also reflected in the mannerisms um, so i i could have been a woman from the 50s, a woman from the 60s, in each of those different decades. But when you look at when a woman comes of age, they're more, normally most defined by that era. So my grandma came of age in the 20s, and she was very much that woman. Or if you look at someone who came of age in the 60s, there is um, a looseness or fire to them, um, a positive looseness, not like a hussy looseness. Um, but maybe a hussy looseness too. Hey, I don't know who your grandmas are, are boning. This um, is a judgment-free. <laughs> But um, but anyway, so so it was really about defining you know capturing that woman from the twenties and then and then sort of letting her evolve and change over. time. And you
0: have a dialect thing too, don't you? A little bit? Yeah. yeah okay. Well, Did you ever I, want it to be like, hey, look, I'm in the I'm in the modern era? <laughs> I don't, I don't
1: know. <laughs> well, I, again, like I looked at Jane Fonda and I was like, I want to talk like her because she kind of like talks through her teeth in a really sexy way, but but she speaks in a very empowered way. You know, her voice is something that she's very proud of. Where Adeline had to be a bit more quiet and reserved and, um, you know, that, that be seen and not heard thing that was instilled in her at a young age and then sort of growing out of that and changing. So um, so yeah, I had to change my dialect. I also like mumble and talk like I was, I'm from Burbank, California, which <laughs> everyone knows I'm from New York. <laughs>
0: yeah, I've been watching you and my girlfriend since uh, Gossip Girl and all that. But my question is this.
1: Oh, your girlfriend watches Gossip Girl, not you?
0: Yeah, yeah. I watch because I heard, but anyway, Yeah, anyways. yeah, yeah. I know that. <laughs> Is there a difference between your character Serena and now with Adeline in terms of,
1: like, vibe and all that? Well, Adeline is not a socialite in New York. She hasn't given anyone a drug overdose. She hasn't. She's slept magically with her.
0: stopped aging. That is a huge part she of the movie. She um, hasn't.
1: She's not brothers with her ex-boyfriend. Um, her new stepbrother's father is not a ghost. Um, there are just a few small similarities this uh, differences on- like wow. that. Oh yeah, season two. Wow! <laughs> yeah, catch up. A ghost came in in season wow. two. That's that's when you say maybe it's better if we don't have a script. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's still entertaining, <laughs> Never, you know. Nonetheless, um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of differences. But um, there's an elegance to women that are of times past that um, that uh, you know you don't see as much in, in characters or, or contemporary women Something in like film, that. not in contemporary women in general.
0: Hi, Um, you talked a bit about kind of needing feedback after you finish a scene, which I can completely identify with as an actor myself. Um, And so I wanted to kind of hear a little bit more about your process as an actor and how you prepare for your film roles.
1: You know, it's always terrifying. Um, And it's neat to see people like Harrison Ford show up to set and still really care. And you know, you all think you're ready and then him saying, okay, let's all sit down together and let's look at the scene and let's make it the best possible. Let's make it as honest as possible. And uh, to have that luxury of being able to do that is is incredible, but also seeing that that he's even kind of nervous in that. Or my husband just worked with Dame Helen Mirren and the night before she's like, oh, I'm so nervous. And he's like, well, what, what's going on? And you're like, said, like, well, we're starting this movie tomorrow. And he said, well, yeah, so? And she's like, I just always get so nervous before. I just don't know. If, I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. So that's nice to hear. Um, but you know, yeah, I, to rely on feedback from your actor or your other, you know, for your scene partner is always, uh, a scary thing to have to rely on because when you work with someone that's method and, um, you're not supposed to have a positive relationship necessarily. Um, like, you know, I worked with Maria Bello on private lives of Pippa Lee and, and she really, um, it helps her in the beginning of the day, the end of the day, to, to feel like her character. It's not that she's going around and abusing me between scenes, but she sort of keeps to herself. And go, we our first scene together, I took a full bottle of her pills and I'm screaming and crying. And I slap her and she slaps me, and it's just an incredibly emotional scene. And then she wouldn't talk to me between scenes, and I thought, she wants to have me fired. She hates me. This is horrible. And then I'd work with Julianne Moore in the same film, who's like joking about her kids between scenes, and then they slate, and like she goes like right into this like creepy girlfriend of my aunt. Um, and I and I really saw that that both of them were incredible actors, and both had very different processes, and, um, and they both got great results, and I saw how each of their processes were affecting me, and that was the thing that scared me, is I thought I need to... Whatever it is that I do, I wasn't doing as well around Maria as I was around Julianne because I needed her to say, you're doing great. And, and not until we finished the movie, she was like, oh, I'm so happy to work with you. I feel like we did such great work together. Do you feel good about it? And I was like, Dear God, could you have said that on day one? And she would send me nice text messages when she saw the movie. and like, We've been so great and friendly ever since. But I just didn't know her process. And that, that really, it did throw me off. And, and so I just need to figure out how to not need the feedback in the moment, you know? Hi, Blake. Hello. Um, so I've noticed a trend that a lot of actors seem to want to, like, separate themselves from the works that made them bigger when they were younger. So do you mind being so closely associated with Gossip Girl and Serena Vanderwoodsen? That's a good well, question. I wasn't so closely associated with it. I, I wouldn't be here, you know. I'd, um, I'd be uh, pimping my ride somewhere, <laughs> like, trying to get a job. Um, but, um, but, you know it's less about being so closely associated with it because of um, it's what people know you for and you want to separate yourself with it just because it's uh, uh, because of the pop culture associated with it and more about always want never wanting to define yourself as any one thing especially as as an artist um, you want to be able to evolve and change and constantly not only surprise other people but surprise yourself uh, and that's easier when you're jumping from film to film because they have shorter lives where the films can live for a long time but you're only watching someone on screen for an hour and a half um, however many times you see that movie or with a TV show someone's in your house once a week for six years I mean, we shot 10 months out of the year so people really feel like they know you as that character um, but what what's been most challenging I think for me just on a personal level is people feel like they know me as that character personally. And yes, I lived in Manhattan and I did not do anything to help myself. I would take home wardrobe. I would date my person I'm dating on the movie, who was also my brother in Little Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> I didn't date my did brother you date on the, the, ghost? the show. <laughs> I didn't date the ghost. Okay. Um, but, you know, but there was a ghost that came into my, you know, so we, we were all buddies. So we didn't really do anything to, um, to help matters there. But that's the thing that I always find to be um, most challenging is that I feel like even when I give interviews and I'm making some ridiculous joke, um, they print it and sort of print it as if like some elitist jerkhole was saying it. Um, because I'm known for being this Upper East Side girl that would never say something like that, you know, and so that's been the, the sort of tricky thing for me personally is feeling like, that. that's not me, like, don't think of me like that. So.
0: Hi. Hi, Blake. Um Congratulations on your baby, first of all. Thank you look amazing. You. Thank you. I see where you get the good genes from.
1: Whoa. <laughs> um, <laughs> She's single. So I'm joking. She's
0: not. <laughs> uh, my question, me and my buddy Greg here, we're really deep into Meisner, so we wanted to know uh, what technique works for you, and do you have any memorable breakthroughs that you can share with us? Wait, what is Meisner? It's a, a, a technique. Acting technique. An Acting technique. Yeah. Not everyone knows that. I'm he sorry. just said that. Oh, okay. Well, I, it could be a religion for all. You know. <laughs>
1: Um, you know, for me, it's, I always feel like I'm faking it, um, which is like probably something I shouldn't say out loud. These are the inner thoughts. No, but, um, you know, I grew up my, my, all my family, um, all my siblings were actors. My parents had an acting class. Um, and I grew up in it and around it, but when I actually fell into it, I I didn't feel like I had really earned it. So um, there are times when I've done, um, you know, I've read these acting books and explored different techniques and gotten uh, really deep into that, and then I would get so in my head that I would do a worse job. And then there are other times where I would just go in and I would really, really work with the actor and the director and the script and hammer it out and and try to imagine what it would be like to to be in that scenario. So it was a little bit more imaginative than it is um, studied, but you're studying it with the people that you're collaborating with. Um, that to me has been more helpful because when the times when I've done all the work ahead on my own, then you're with someone else, everyone's got their own vision and you could just like, you know, you sort of implode and it's hard to be as agile. So, um... (coughs) I find it best to, to um, I I've, I've felt most comfortable and most happy with the outcome when I sit and I, and you talk about what's not on the screen what's what's not happening here and you you give all of that backstory together so you're all operating in, under the same uh, world uh, that's that's what works best for me and then also I don't you know I felt really insecure when I would see like Maria B Method and see how good she was and I thought I'm giggling between takes and I should be crying and like, you know, holding my knees and acting like I just took a bottle of pills, but then I would see Julianne Moore just talk about her kids and literally until the moment that thing slated and I thought, it's okay to not do that as well. You can, you know, it's again, just there's, there's no, judging yourself is, is, is the most harmful thing I found. Hi, Blake. I saw the movie this weekend, and it was wonderful. Thank you. Um, And I remember reading in Vogue that you were drawn to this role because it's so rare that a woman really gets to be at the heart and center of a film, and that Adeline just um, felt like a very naturally complex and interesting character. So I was wondering, what was your favorite thing about playing her and if it felt different from other roles that you've had? Well, it felt incredibly different. Um, I think most actors want to be in a period piece film, and I got to be in a multi-period piece film, which is very rare. Um, But what I love most about Adeline is um, there aren't many movies that women are in the center of 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 them. You know, Kate Blanchett's Oscar speech talking about what look, people want to see movies with women at at the center. Um, and uh and then after that there was a little bit of a trend of oh, yeah, let's make these movies and then that kind of like cycles out again. Um, but and it's a shame um, that that happens. But what I loved about Adeline is that she was multifaceted and she had her flaws and she had her strengths. And she wasn't really judged either way, where normally women's role is to be the heroine and she's celebrated, or it's to be the villain, uh, whether she's an evil queen or whether she's a drug addict. Uh, You know, when they're multifaceted, it's because there's all these dark layers of complexity, um, or they're this prize for the man, or they're this really charming, dazzling woman. Um, But to have a woman like like Annie Hall, you know, who's complex and interesting, and, and there are great things about her and there are terrible things about her, but she is just honestly a, a woman that's very rare and that's what i liked about Adeline. i mean she could have even had more flaws you know i think we could have pushed that a lot more um but but you know an honest representation of a woman you don't really get to see a multifaceted complex woman in, in film enough but you do get to see complex multifaceted men a lot which is um disappointing.
0: <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. I, I think
1: it's great to see men too, but I think that, you know, it's 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 a shame that women often play one role or the other. Yeah. And, and I'm always, that's why I'm drawn to these characters that are, um, you know, I joke that I only ever play a prostitute or a drug addict because the women that are very layered and complex that aren't just the price for the women are normally dark when they're layered and complex. But that's not honest, you know? They can have their complexities and they can have their darknesses, but, um, but you know, there's also, there's a lot more to the story than you often see.
0: Well, let's thank Blake Lively for a wonderful thank chat. You guys. And go see Adrian Madeline on Friday.